Thank you for tuning in to Chandelier Chats. I'm your host, Rochelle LaCour. Please don't forget to hit like and subscribe. Thank you. Welcome to today's episode, today's show. I'm so excited to welcome you all here. We have a very special guest. We have Megan Wagner, who is joining us today, who is also known as the Goal Guru. She is an emerging leader and team coach. And today we're going to be talking about burnout, some of the signs of burnout, what you can do when you're feeling burnt out. But first, I want to invite you all to welcome Megan to the show. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Yeah, thank you for being here. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. What inspired you to become the gold guru? How did you nab such a beautiful, prestigious title? Um, my first shout out has to go to my fiance, who is a much better marketer than he thinks he is and came up with the title as we were, as I was looking to launch my career in coaching and facilitation, um, you know, two points to him for alliteration and brilliant marketing strategy. Um, (laughs) No, he's really fantastic and and was really supportive as I was kind of gearing up to launch my, launch my coaching business last year. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked in, in corporate America, my whole career. Um, for the last 10 years, jumping around a couple of different media spaces. Um, and in all of those spaces, I always kind of found myself as a bit of a mix of teacher and leader, um, never really kind of taking the reins on specific initiatives, but making sure everybody on my team was able to was able to do their work to their best ability. And it was a real specific skill to me. And as I kind of grew into that over the last decade of my career, which sounds wild to say out loud. Um, <laughs> I really, it truly is like sitting there and saying a decade, just right. So and considering you're so young. so <laughs> I'm actually 15. No. Um, <laughs> so, you know, as I kind of came into that, I realized that was, that was the special thing I had to offer the world. That was my special sauce is being able to consolidate information, break it down and really bring people along with me. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. I love it. So is is that what turned you on to coaching? Yeah, yeah. Working with my um working with my colleagues. Uh I worked, you know, with a number of different teams and individuals. Uh, and we were always working on something complicated or something that had a lot of moving parts and something that it was a very innovative team. And so they're always kind of pushing the envelope. And it was always incumbent on us to figure out a way to do something that maybe hadn't been done that way before. And so you know, working with groups and teams, I would help break down, you know, how do we, how do we have this event now that it's in the pandemic and we can't, we have to do it virtually, we can't do it in person. Or mm-hmm. how do we break down, you know, your career goals? I worked a lot with my individual friends and, um, and a couple of direct reports or, or people who had reported, you know, at least a step down kind of from where I was, you know, on that, that corporate hierarchy. Uh, and I really helped prepare them for how to have conversations with their bosses that were collaborative and not really, not really antagonistic in the way of like, I did this work, you owe me a promotion. Uh, but like really how to collaborate with their bosses on their careers and their next steps and, and what their work could be and how they could both contribute to the company and be hitting goals and milestones where the company itself would be inclined to kind of reward that. And it just kind of took a lot of the anxiety out of the way people approached their work, both, both again, on my, my teams that I was working on and with the individuals I was working with. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So did you experience burnout? Is that why you left the media world? I have experienced burnout, though that was not my that was not my jumping point, my exit point. Um, I am probably the worst person at pushing through burnout. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just trucked right on past it. You know, I had a big project at the end of last year uh, in December, and it you know it was most of the fall of 2019, and it it just absolutely crashed me. Uh, and I've, I've had previous projects a little bit like that. Um, in, in 2017, we like migrated our entire website and getting that off the ground was this, this huge undertaking. Um, and I was routinely putting in 55 or 60 hours a week. And my bosses were like, you're working too much. And I was like, but this is what you need to get done. And um, <laughs> so I, I fully just pushed myself straight, straight through both of my versions of burnout. Um, but I'm a fairly introspective person. And even kind of as I was going through it, I feel like I was gathering a lot of data on what the experience was like and what it meant, um, mm-hmm. what it meant for me, uh, in particular, because I wasn't doing work because other people were expe- expecting it of me. I was really choosing to engage in that work and I felt it was really important. And I was the one putting all of the pressure on myself. And that can be, in my experience, some of the hardest burnout to recover from and to to recognize, um, you know, when you're you're kind of trying to get that promotion or trying to to get through the work that other people want for you, it can feel a lot easier to put up boundaries or to say no or to just understand that you're that there's too much happening to you. When you're the one kind of driving that push, it can be a lot more insidious. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I myself have experienced burnout, and I actually didn't know that that's what it's called. So for our viewers and our listeners, how would you describe burnout and what sort of signs or symptoms let you know that you're experiencing it? Yeah, there's a wide variety of what you could call burnout, I think, in part because it's not a scientific term. It's it's a bit on the pop psychology level, and I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a really specific psychological definition of of what burnout entails. Um, But there's also the space that we use it in, you know, every day. And I think for me, burnout is, you know, you kind of see the the images of like matchsticks, right? You have so Mm -hmm. much fuel and burnout is literally just using all of the fuel you have. So for me, some of the biggest uh, signifiers some of my big biggest signifiers of burnout are actually just my physical body shutting down or stopping. Last December, my big project kind of culminated with me having this this horrible cold, which you know, conspiracy theory might have been coronavirus. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> really, really interesting to look back and be like, oh, okay, that was some timing. But, um, I was I was fully sick for I was fully sick for a month for probably the middle of middle of December to the middle of January, I was, I stopped running. I was, I had this horrible cough. There were probably about two weeks for even getting out of bed was just almost impossible. Mm-hmm. And it coincided with when we had kind of downtime at work in, for those not familiar, particularly in the New York media business, uh, media space, uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's is often a week that we just shut down most of the offices. So I had a de facto vacation in there and I was like, great, I'll get to rest. And I came back and I was like, oh, I'm still exhausted. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm still really physically tired. And so, you know, that can be a fair, fair extreme version. But I find a lot of times when I'm getting a cold, when I, when I just feel 
you know, the very scientific term for it, uh, is one of my, <laughs> my key, one of my key signifiers that I'm I'm pushing myself to burn out. Another really key one for me is lack of interest in the the things that I, I love or enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. I really like bad TV and movies and it, I really love to read. And this last year, it's been very difficult for me to sit down and read a new book. It's engaging my brain that way has just been very difficult. So I would say, you know, the definition of burnout is a, is a little bit wide ranging, but it's just generally using all of your fuel and not really having any stores to draw from. And I think that's the part that we often neglect as well as making sure that our resources are constantly topped up. We, we seem to put these expectations and these deadlines on ourselves, even if they're not being pushed down the line. Like if our employer isn't saying to us, oh, Rochelle, Megan, you guys have to have this done by Friday. And we're like, oh, that means Tuesday. So we were supposed to do that two days ago. <laughs> yeah. And then we we exhaust ourselves because we're exhausting our resources. And mm-hmm. the thing that comes to mind is you can't pour from an empty cup. Well, yeah. we're not supposed to pour from our cup at all. We're supposed to pour from what's spilled over into yeah. a, the little saucer for the yep. teacup, not the actual teacup. Yeah. Yeah, pour, pour from your saucer. Keep your cup. Keep your cup for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what are some things that people can do when they're experiencing burnout? What do you recommend? How do you navigate that? Um, so, and I'll, I'll come back to this in a minute. But I really love kind of putting some parameters in place to start preventing burnout in the first place. So, yeah. I'll, I'll kind of circle circle back to that because I think a lot of times the triage is is step one, right? Like I'm already in it. Like, what do I do? And I would say really, truly just give yourself some grace, ask for it if you need to from other people, but start being a bit easy on yourself. Give yourself space to do things as you want to do them, not as you feel like you should do them. One of my biggest key exercises uh, for myself, particularly in burnout, is to make my to-do list and run through them on like kind of my, my right side. I just kind of make a little column and note, like note them as either shoulds or wants and just try to make them one or the other. I used to do a version of it with musts, but that tended to be my way out of not acknowledging when I should be doing something or when I would be using that, that verbiage. And I wouldn't be like, I must do this. Uh, So kind of, kind of (laughs) forcing it into that binary can really make you identify what things you actually want to be spending your time on. Um, I think Mm -hmm. one of the big things with burnout is we foreground the expectations of others, the needs of others, things we presume other people want and expect of us um, without really doing any of the exploration of whether or not they want or need that. Burnout, I think in a lot of ways can be really tied to codependence. (laughs) Um, And that's been a big, that's been a big journey for me, especially with like uh, household chores. I tend to think, you know, like like it's my house. I need to do it. Like I need to do this. And you know, my fiance needs this and my dog needs that. I'm like, no, they don't actually need it. Like when I stop and <laughs> when I stop and pause and I, and I, I kind of break it out into, is this a, a thing I should do or a thing I want to do? And I investigate the things I put should to, right. You, you, you take your list out and you're like, okay, these are the shoulds. Why should I do it? Who should I do mm-hmm. it for? And start asking yourself some questions around those. You know, you can't, 
wave a magic wand and, and be done with all of the, all of the responsibilities you're carrying, but you can investigate them a little bit and you can challenge your own thinking about how urgent they are, how necessary they are, um, and how much pressure you're putting on yourself to get them done. Someone once said to me, when you say that you should do something or should have done something, that all you're doing is shooting on yourself. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. My, my personal, my personal favorite, uh, and I say this to my, I say this to clients, I say this to friends, but my, my personal saying is when you say you should do something, it's almost always a sign you should not, um, not always, but almost always, like almost always like, like 99.9% of the time, a good 80, 90% of the time, it yeah. means you should not because it means you're not engaged, right? It means you're not connected to that task and it's, more draining than it is rejuvenating. There are some things that you should do. You should eat more vegetables, but uh, I <laughs> but ideally, ideally, instead of you should eat more vegetables, you want to be finding foods and recipes that you want to be eating rather than mm -hmm. like expending your energy on forcing yourself to do something you should be doing. So some of that's reframing as well, right? If the task still needs to get done, and you've put it in the should column, is there some way you can reframe it? If, is there some way you can reposition it as something you do want to do? Mm -hmm. I agree. I like to look at it, um, and I received this perspective shift myself. The way I like to look at it is like, okay, here's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, I need to have a shower. I need to eat food. I need to walk my dogs. How can I inject pleasure into every single one of these tasks that I need to do? Yeah. And then once I inject that in, I'm like, how much, how much can I turn up the volume on that? <laughs> how much can I turn up the volume on like how great I'm going to feel when I do yeah. this? And when I look at it from that perspective, I'm like, hell yes, I want to do that. Hell yes, yes. I want to walk my dogs for an hour. Like I love walking my dogs. Yes. Yeah. For example. No, um, it's a really good one. And, and it's, all, it's also important because when we choose to look at it from that perspective, when we choose to look at it from not the have to, but the want to, mm -hmm. it changes the way, like you said, it changes the way that we energetically look at it. It changes the way that we feel about doing the task mm -hmm. and it changes the momentum and the motivation that we utilize as fuel yep. to go through the exercise or the task. Yeah. It's a really specific phenomenon, I think, to to abstract work, to mental work, right? There's mm -hmm. so much flexibility in, in the abstract space for you to actually kind of control whether something is rejuvenating or not, but it just requires a certain amount of being honest with yourself of, about, you know, I think a lot of times if we don't want to do something or we feel like we should do something, we avoid framing it that way to kind of trick ourselves into thinking like we're not resisting it at all, <laughs> but you have to be, you just have to be a bit honest with yourself and be, and be like, yeah, I really, this is, this is a real should. And I still feel like it really needs to get done. Like, what can I do to, what can I do to support myself in getting it done? A couple of my other favorite tips and, and tricks for burnout. You know, I think you hit on something really with the, what are the things I need to do? I have a, I have a daily top five is an exercise I recommend a lot to people who are fairly overwhelmed and feel like they're drowning in their to-do list. And it's really like, what are the, what are the five things you absolutely have to get done today? You can get five things done in a day what are five things you absolutely must get done? There are other things that fall in on that list, but if you get those five things done, the day is a win. And if you can kind of start framing it that way and everything, you know, you're kind of digging through the other stuff as you have time, but like you're getting to the things that make your day a win. You're getting to the most important things and reserving your attention for them. The meat and potatoes. Yep. 
I also really love, (laughs) I also really love, uh, this is a Gretchen Rubin tool, I believe, but she, uh, she, on her podcast, Happier, uh, I think came up with a uh, to-do list, which is the opposite of a to-do list. It's, it's the stuff that's done. And I really think reveling in the stuff that you've done is a big part of challenging burnout mentality, right? And just being like, like acknowledging that you've gotten work done. Um, I think a part of what really eats away at us is the way we move our goalposts on ourselves. Just one of the reasons for the top five is to be like, no, these are <laughs> goalposts, you're holding them. Um, but like you get to, you finish one thing and you're like, oh, I actually really should get this other thing done. And then you get to the end of the day and you're like, I didn't do anything. And it's like, actually, if you sat down and made a list, you'd realize you did a ton of things. You just didn't finish the last thing you added on to your plate at 530. Yeah. Or 930. Or 930. <laughs> Oh yeah, I should probably mop the floors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, why didn't I clean the entire kitchen tonight? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wiped my counters, but I didn't wipe my stove. Oh yeah, yeah. truly, uh, truly. And I think you also mentioned something about boundaries as well. Yes, boundaries are a tricky, fun buzzword, and I think they get a little. They get, they get a little maligned, I think, sometimes. Boundaries are important. Obviously, uh, you know, everyone everyone is talking about how they can set boundaries and what their boundaries between their work and life are. And being in the pandemic, being in quarantine has changed what those boundaries look like. I do think there is, I do think there is a real reckoning needed from our systems and from our organizations to start creating more boundaries for their employees for mm-hmm. to be creating more boundaries for their people and their organizations overall. However, I do think there is a lot of space also to be owning and articulating our boundaries personally on like an individual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a real tricky, tricky kind of line because I do think there, like I said, I do think there's a real, real responsibility of larger organizations to take a stab at this, but in lieu of that actually happening, there are spaces you can, you can, make and draw lines. And I, I don't want to sound super naive being being a childless childless adult. And I'm, you know, I don't have little kids kind of running running in and all over my stuff. And I've left my job so I don't have my my boss kind of deciding at 11 o'clock at night that she needs something. However, mm-hmm. I do think there's a lot there is a lot more wiggle room than most people give themselves. With boundaries, with setting kind of lines, the most important thing is really knowing what you want. I think a lot of times people feel like they can make a concession on this calendar invite or moving that meeting or having this time, you know, taking this time over their lunch break to really make sure something happens. And some of that for me really happens because as individual people, we're not super clear on on what we want, right? we let other people's wants kind of go ahead of ours and we don't really take a minute to think like, oh, I really actually, it's important to me to have my lunch break or it's really important to me to sign on at nine, but to sign off at five. We don't actually take the time to articulate that those things are important or recognize them. You know, we've always, we've been conditioned a bit to let the world run roughshod over that. And I think a nice, easy kind of way to to start rekindling those, you know, creating a boundary isn't something that like you just create overnight, you know, just like wake up and it's like, okay, now all of a sudden nobody can bug me from 12 to one and I'm signing off at five and nothing is happening. But starting to kind of be a little bit gentle with yourself as you, as, as you build those in, as you build them up, starting small, right? Like I don't Mm -hmm. sign on before 9am. 
Uh, for me, that's much later because I like sleep. But in my, in my morning routines, I spend, I wake up early, but I spend a lot of time on myself in the morning. But saying that like, I, this is the time I sign on. Instead of giving yourself a specific time to sign off, starting to create a... Um, I think a lot of people kind of jump in with work specifically and, and being like, I'm going to like set this boundary. I'm going to like make this line and sign off at, you know, six o'clock every night. And then they get really frustrated with themselves when they can't sign off until seven. Instead of setting a time, really creating more of a ritual for you to sign off. At the end of your day, you make a list of the things that are still top of mind on your to-do list. And then you put it away, you put the computer away, you put the phone away and that's it. When you're done, you're done. And if people need you outside of that, there's an emergency way to reach you instead of just your, your email or your, your computer. Yeah, I agree. And there was something interesting that you, you mentioned about that too. And I think what it's alluding to is awareness. You have Mm -hmm. to have the awareness because you're right. A lot of us, myself included, like I get up really early because I do a spiritual practice before I start my day. And then it goes spiritual practice, get my dogs fed and outside, get my husband ready for work, get myself ready for work. And sometimes I start work at 7am because that's, that's the time, the timelines and time zones, you know, that I work in. And then by like five o'clock, I'm just like, Oh, I can't wait to be done work sometimes because I've done so much before even noon like most people aren't even out of bed by the time mm-hmm. I'm like done halfway done my stuff and then I think to myself I'm like wow I didn't get this done I didn't get this done I didn't yep. get this done which is exactly yeah. what we're talking about yep. I didn't get this done yep. but look at what I did do I don't want to look at what I did do I want to look at what I didn't do and mm-hmm. I think that that's like a subconscious program yep. because we're used to this 24 7 365 on demand now everything immediate results yep. that if we're not generating that, all of a sudden our brain's just like, can't compute, can't compute, shut down, shut down. And it's like, well, shit, now I got to start all over again. Yeah, well, and I think so much of so much of our identities are tied up in our productivity. And, you yeah. know, I love productivity. I love productivity apps. I love being productive and efficient. But it's not... It, I think a major mindset shift for me was when I stopped being productive in order to produce more and started being productive and efficient in order to stop, right? I get to a stopping Hmm. point every day. I have a time where I can lay it down. And that's, that's the importance of productivity for me isn't getting to how can I maximize how much I get done today? It's how can I get this stuff done early enough that I can still enjoy the sunlight or how can I get enough stuff done in the morning that I know I can enjoy the afternoon and come back and finish the finish enough this evening to continue on with my day tomorrow without feeling harried without feeling pressured which is one of the reasons I really encourage um I really encourage vision vision setting work really sitting down for a few minutes to be very clear on where you want your life to go and what you want it to look like you know being really clear on what the end goal is gives you a good idea of when you can take a break and, and it, and there will be a reasonable amount of work left for you. It's very like, it's very like a marathon, right? Like which points do you want to stop and have, um, have your water break? Like I used to, I used to kind of set out my water, my water breaks at the little stations when I, when I ran marathons out at like, you know, the, the longest one I'd run like my first, it would be like five miles. And then, you know, it'd be like four miles and three miles. And I would, it, 
as I got closer to the end, I created more and more breaks. And I, I didn't really realize I did that in running, um, but not in my work. <laughs> my work, it was like, it's always wow. going to be the eight miles I always have to get through before I can take a break. So many of us and coming from a corporate world and mm-hmm. like for myself coming from construction, which is, sure. you know, 24 seven, sure. um, like that's a hard shift to make when we're used to being on demand. And I'm curious, how did you find the transition from corporate, you know, corporate America to being an entrepreneur and like navigating that building cycle? I'm still transitioning it. It's still fairly new for me. So I'm finding it really great right now. It feel it feels very organic for me. Um, it felt like the last year or so of my life in corporate America, I was not as tuned in, you know, it was a little bit of a burnout, uh, mentality. Like I, like I'd kind of mentioned, you know, I, I'd kind of crashed pretty hard in, in December last year. And I don't know that I ever fully came back from that to my like full working self. I did air quotes there just for, <laughs> for everyone listening. <laughs> for the listeners. Um, yeah, for the listeners. So you could you could hear the sarcasm in that. But um I was not I, w- I was not at that productive level, that that always on level that I had been before. So that whole last year for me, I think my body and mind were really starting to tune into a more intuitive sense of what a work day was. Uh, I would wake up later. I would stay signed on until later, or I would not work a whole chunk of the afternoon. I hope my boss doesn't hear that part, but also, fine. <laughs> uh, but I would go grocery shopping. Fine. She's fine. <laughs> but I would go grocery shopping, you know, at 11 o'clock in the morning because I didn't have any meetings. And, you know, while we were kind of on lockdown, I had to get stuff done when I got stuff done. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that whole kind of setup of being in quarantine, frankly, really set me up for success in being able to create a more intuitive work day, a day where I had a handle on the, th- the projects I was moving forward, but I really let my interests and my creativity set what I worked on and what order I worked on it in, um, instead of kind of pushing myself into little boxes and, and being like, I have to check this off in this order because this is when it can get done. Um, mm-hmm. really I use those boxes to guide myself to knowing what can fit in a day. So again, that I can be working towards that point where I can put the work down and then it, it it sort of invites more play into the work as well and again yeah. you know it brings more joy or more pleasure or yeah. more uh, relaxation into it so you're not pulling your hair out by noon because you have all these yeah. deadlines that you set for yourself yeah I think it also uh, ties nicely into being realistic mm. about like yes you can accomplish doing a thousand things today Mm-hmm. Do you okay. need to accomplish those 1000 things? And yeah. of that 1000 things, like what is do or die? Like, yeah. if you don't do this today, what will happen? Yeah. And having a really hard look at, like a really hard look at that perspective and the way that we've been, for lack of better terms, manipulated or brainwashed into thinking that this is the only way to be productive yeah. or the only way to be seen as a productive human being. It's, I think it's total shit. Yeah. I mean, my to-do list is broken down into mission critical and, and nice to haves. Uh, I have, you know, I, I really fo- follow that um, that kind of concept of, you know, what actually needs to be done today and elevating mm-hmm. that, like being able to see it up top and keep it front of mind. Because I think probably some of the most disheartening kind of days are when you get 
pulled off in a million directions and the like one thing you knew you needed to do today is still undone. And that I think really kind of, kind of eats away at the soul a little bit. I don't know if that's just, <laughs> if that's just me, the very goal oriented, but, uh, but it, it, it's a little soul crushing for me. So being able to like kind of really turn my focus to the things I know will pay off tomorrow or pay off for, uh, you know, will support my future self. Really. I like to think about her sometimes and, and be as kind to her as I can. Well, yeah. Cause when you look back, you want to know that you did all you could all the years prior to, yeah. to nurture her going forward. And it's also a practice. Mm-hmm. It's a practice to take care of ourselves and to think, think ahead, like, okay, in five years from now, how am I going to feel if I continue on this trajectory? Sure. I think also with um, people who are used to, I think particularly with women who are used to cultivating and nurturing side, and I don't mean that patronizingly, um, but just in general, like you're used to taking care of other people. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're used to considering and thinking about other people. I've found it very handy to externalize myself that way and to really think of myself as someone I'm caring for. And it's a little easier to add the temporal version instead of the current version of me in and just be like, all right, future Megan is really going to need this, this, and this future Megan is going to really hate waking up to these dishes. (laughs) So so past Megan, me, Megan, now I'm doing this for myself. And, And even just taking the minute to acknowledge that I'm doing it for myself is very refreshing sometimes. How important do you feel it is to have that time in the morning? You mentioned that you have a a morning practice, like a self-care routine that you go through in the morning. How important is that for you? So I will answer it as very important and also very not important. No, um, it's, it's both. Uh, no, it's (laughs) so having time in the morning to myself is crucial that time, what it is and how I spend it is constantly changing and evolving. Particularly, I know this has been the theme I'm like, particularly in quarantine, um, but particularly in quarantine, I found that my needs have changed so much faster than they used to. I used to have like a morning routine and it would last, I don't know, six, eight months, a year. And I'd be like, oh, it's time to like refresh those morning routines. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm kind of finding that like, you know, I have been a routine morning exerciser for most of my life. For six months, I worked out in the afternoon and I just was like, nope, this is not, I don't feel good doing this in the morning anymore, so I'm not going to do it. And, um, but I feel like some time in the morning is just really a really crucial, a really crucial step to being able to go into the day balanced and grounded. Um, I actually had, uh, one of my first, uh, Instagram challenges was actually the, uh, 15 minute mornings. And it was, it was like how to make your, your morning some, like your mornings count without necessarily taking three hours to do it. Cause I do love a long morning routine this morning. I did a long bike ride, um, indoors. We have an indoor bike. Um, there's a lot of snow here still. Um, oh. <laughs> there's still, it's beautiful out, but it's still a foot and a half of snow. Yeah. Um, but you know, recognizing that not everybody has the time or the will to get up in the morning um, immediately, right? That's one of the biggest obstacles I hear to people like having a morning routine. It takes so long. I have to get up earlier. God, how am I going to get up earlier? I need to go to bed earlier. And then it becomes this spiral of like self-recrimination. Um, mm-hmm. So like just these 15 minutes, um, I recommended, uh, you know, two minutes to drink a big glass of water, uh, eight minutes to... Um, to move, uh, stretch, walk, whatever. Uh, there are some, some scientific findings that I came across recently that was like as few as 11 minutes in your whole day, um, 
of just moderate walking can actually make a major difference to your health. And I was like, even it sounds like a good chunk of that. I think you can get three in for the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> I, think you can, I think you can manage that. Um, yeah. So yeah, so like a little eight minute movement, little yoga video, a little walk around the house or whatever. And then five minutes just to sit quietly, like just literally five minutes. You can meditate, you can write a list. Um, but I, you know, just sit quietly and be in your own head. You'd be surprised what kind of comes out of that kind of direction of just being quiet for a minute. I think it's a beautiful practice and it's, it's really simple for the people who are, who are watching and who are listening and who are not morning people. My husband is one of those people. It takes him an hour to get up and then get out of bed. And I'm just like, the alarm goes off or I'm awake before the alarm and I'm like, bing, out of bed. I've got all the things to do. And then I'm like <laughs> through the house, like Sonic the Hedgehog all over the place. Everything <laughs> is done by eight o'clock. And he's like, how long have you been up? I'm like, oh, you know, just 30 minutes. Like, uh, you know, so for him having a nighttime practice is mm-hmm. more beneficial than having a sure. morning practice or um, having a midday practice mm-hmm. is, yeah. is also helpful. I think it's really important to lean into the type of person you are and not, Mm -hmm. I'm a really, my, my flags go up anytime, uh, anytime someone is, is kind of hard on themselves. So like a lot of, a lot of people will be like, oh, mornings are so hard. I'm like, okay, what's your evening look like? Like lean into who you are and really, really appreciate that. You don't have to change the system. Shouldn't have to, like, you don't have to change the fit to fit the system. The system you have should change to fit you. I agree. That's the tools are there. You're not supposed to fit into the tool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to be using and manning the tools, not allowing the tools to manage you. you. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, what resources do you recommend people start with when they're dealing with burnout or trying to figure out a morning routine? Um, yeah. I personally, I mean, honestly, one of the most powerful morning routines I had for a while was literally drinking a glass of ice water. It's, you know, it wasn't a lot. It was just knowing that I was doing something intentional every day for me. And it was when I was kind of the most busy, kind of the most harried and feeling really dissatisfied with any kind of step I took. That one was really grounding and super simple. (laughs) I also really love uh, daily meditations and there's a whole host of them out there. There's an app called the daily shine, which I really like, and they actually have uh, their daily meditation is free on Spotify. And I'm sure a bunch of other platforms, but I listen to it on Spotify. Budify has some really great meditations. You know, they don't have to be very Zen meditations. Oh, there's also the calm app. Um, I never really got quite into those, but I know a lot of people who find the calm meditations very, very helpful. But they don't have to be super Zen, super spiritual meditations. It's really a matter of just cultivating some quiet time in your mind. One of my favorites for people who are just starting is to just breathe. Set a timer Mm -hmm. for one minute and breathe Mm -hmm. for one minute. That's all you have to do. And it's interesting because anytime I I invite people into that practice, they're like, a minute. Yeah, I can do that. 20 seconds in, they're like, is it a minute yet? Is it a minute yet? And I think to myself, Hey, I like, I used to be that way. I used to be like, man, I'm mean, going to feel so long when you have to be, be still and be like inside of your own brain and your own body. But that minute changes your day. I was going to say it's like a mental plank. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like taking that, that moment to prioritize yourself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, allows for an easy transition to 
taking more time for yourself and more time for yourself and more time for yourself. And I understand there are so many people with little kids running around and, you know, they work 9am to 9pm and, and they have kids and they have to clean their house and they have all of the to do's and everything. Yeah. You can't tell me that there is not one minute in your day that you cannot take for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really do love the idea of starting with the most simple thing you you can. One of the practices I've started incorporating for myself is like 30 seconds at the end of my shower is just ice cold. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Like Wim Hof. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't, I was my, my mother-in-law actually was like, was like, Oh, I take ice cold showers all winter long. And I was like, you're crazy. That's crazy. And, and I don't know what she also does like the polar swim or whatever, which are are two, you know, two things I would never, never do. But I had kind of dug into a lot of the resources she gave me on, on the like power of that cold water and kind of waking you up. And so for me, like the, the 30 seconds, it's like, that's, it's hard, but it's also very clarifying. Like I come out, I'm like, Oh, right. I'm awake now. That's cool. Um, and it can just be, you know, it's more to the point of less to say you should go dunk yourself in cold water and more to the point of finding a very small practice, um, that you can fit in every day does not like, you do not have to have a three hour long, like morning routine. You do not have to like wake up and do an hour workout and have a perfect breakfast. Like small steps really are the way to kind of like move yourself in, in a direction where you are in charge of your day. Mm-hmm. And also thinking of it, a house isn't built by using only one brick. It takes several bricks, several pieces of structure. It takes a foundation, navigating that. And also, you know, setting up a blueprint that actually feels good to you Mm -hmm. is is crucial. It's it's crucial. And what works for you today and tomorrow may not work for you next week. And that's okay. I think that's the other part that we forget is, and we sort of beat ourselves up for is, we think, oh, well, you know, I did this yesterday and today and, you know, tomorrow it doesn't feel good to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we, then we start self-sabotaging or we just go, well, I'm just not going to do it. Or you do it and then you resent yourself for doing it because you're like, I didn't want to do it anyways. <laughs> That's exactly how I sound when I'm mad at myself too. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's so funny because I work with so many people who I think in our first few sessions get really frustrated because because I'm like let's you know we're gonna achieve really big things in your life and they come to talk to me and I'm like all right what's your daily routine look like what's your like what does your day-to-day look like and it's not because I want to focus small but because those small spaces in your life are really the foundation for the your biggest dreams your biggest ambitions Um, you can't really fit those big things in on a foundation that's kind of ever shifting and ever, and not something you can depend on. And being the goal guru, do you have some tips and tricks on what you recommend, how people set their goals? Yes. Uh, always. No, I have a ton of them. One, um, I really love breaking things down into, into threes. Um, I like to break things down further and further and further until they're in their tiniest. It's like splitting, it's like splitting particles in half, uh, in science class or whatever they, they had you do that, that exercise. Atoms, no, splitting, splitting it wasn't splitting atoms. atoms. It wasn't splitting <laughs> atoms. There was something where you had to like cut the thing in half and half and half, and you could always split it in half or whatever. And anyways, it's a, it was a bad science class. I should not have brought it up. Um, <laughs> Fine. Um, but I love, I love breaking things down into the, into the kind of smallest. The micro. Yeah. Break it down. Um, start big, break it down into three. 
uh, and then break it down into three again. Um, and that's really the format that I kind of that I kind of work with. Um, I run quarterly workshops actually in helping people create 90 day plans uh, rather than setting goals for a year or two years or you know six months. I think three month planning is super, super powerful. So I work really hard to uh, to guide people through identifying what can actually be done in, in 90 days. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is, is instead of starting big and scaling back, start small and scale up. Um, so take your goal, break it down into three, pick one of those three and make that your goal. <laughs> that's usually my, my starting point. I'm like, start there. And if you can do more of those, great, but like try it after you've done it for 90 days. Another really big thing, and this is kind of part of what we get into in 90, 90 day planning, but it's to, it's to hone your focus, right? Focus on, on three main goals and uh, like at a time. Don't focus on five, don't focus on 10, don't try to focus on everything. I think people are really interested in a lot of things. Uh, you know, you just like to learn things. You like to try new things. You like to move from thing, you know, from piece to piece. I'm a creature of novelty. However, I think sometimes we can kind of sabotage ourselves by getting too enamored with the start of things. Mm -hmm. um, and lose some of that momentum in the middle. And then that kind of starts your, your self-recrimination cycle. So one of the reasons I recommend 90 day planning is because it's a long enough period where you can work on something and see some results, but not necessarily, but not necessarily be committed to it forever, right? You can get to the end of that 90 days and be like, all right, working on this is no longer serving me. I'm going to put it back in the bucket and pick something else. Um, and so give yourself permission to put things in the bucket for those 90 days and focus on, on your main things. 90 day plans. I also really like to try to balance as much as possible. So I like to have, I personally like to have a work specific goal, a personal growth goal, and then like a family slash social goal. Like, like, what do I want at home? So, you know, we just actually moved up here. So my goal this quarter has been like settling in and finding a new routine and finding my new spots. Um, and making space for that in my life is a real game changer. Beautiful. Amazing. Do you have any final words of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners and our viewers? I think it's just really important to extend a real, real sense of grace to yourself and people around you right now. Um, everybody's going through a massive global transition all the time every day right now. Um, and I think <laughs> being real gentle with yourself and everyone else is really just really important and it's not very goal guru-y but it's, it's I think a really important part of being able to stay stay sane and balanced while we while we kind of all figure out what the future holds yeah I agree I think that's beautiful and thank you for sharing that and how can people get in touch with you how can people reach out to you uh, so the main way is my website, uh, meganwagner.com, uh, and that's Megan, M-E-A-G-H-A-N, uh, because my parents like all the letters. Um, <laughs> uh, and there's a contact form on my, on my website there. Um, so feel free to reach out to me anytime. Um, you can also sign up for a free session just to, just to tell me about work, just to tell me about life. You can sign up for it right there on the, on the main website. And I'm also on Instagram at the underscore goal underscore guru. Well, Megan, it's been an absolute pleasure and delight having you here today. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and for sharing some insights around burnout and goal setting. It's been brilliant having you and I look forward to the next time. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fantastic. I look forward to chatting again. Thank you. Thank you.